Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. You know, this week we're going to be talking about um, one of our, our loves at our church, love one another. Love one another is is basically our way of saying that the church should be a place where people love one another. It's about church. It's strange. I, I think in, even in my own friend group, I've always been a person who's been much higher, much seen the church as much more important and much more valuable in my own life than almost all of my friends. And I'm not talking about like secular folks who aren't Jesus people. I mean, obviously, I'm going to see the church is more important than they. They don't really have it. Why would you go to church if you're not a Jesus person, right? That doesn't make any sense. You know, why go to In-N-Out if you hate hamburgers? Um, In-N-Out's delicious, by the way. Now I want In-N-Out. I'm just, that's just the way it works. But the, the point is, I've always been higher on church than my, my friends, and I'm talking about my Christian friends, and you're and some of you out there are cynical, might say, well, well, Dave, you're a pastor. You have to inflate the importance of church because otherwise your life is meaningless. Uh, fair, fair. But I, I felt this way like a decade and a half before I ever became a pastor. When I was a new Christian, when I was a, a, a new Christian, when I was growing as a, as a new Christian, um, all the way through um, that adolescent period of Christianity, of my Christian walk, I felt the church is being very important. Um, and I think it's because the primary metaphor that the New Testament uses for the church is not an organization or a business. It's a family. And I think there's just something about my own origin story, my own example of, of my own family. You know, I was born uh, on September 2nd, but my due date was November 17th. And uh, when I was born, I was born severely underweight. I had to be in the hospital for two and a half months. Uh, I was in a NICU ward. I didn't even have a name. Uh, baby Doe Male, ward of the state of Ohio. And during that time, somebody might say, well, you at your most vulnerable moment in your life, you were completely abandoned. But I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe I was completely abandoned. I believe that God was actually working to bring forward and to forge and form a family for me to be placed in. And he did, Bob and Kay Tish, um, two folks from Ohio, uh, an Air Force pilot, an engineer, and a kindergarten teacher. Uh, they came forward, and they were my mom and dad. They were the family that God placed me in. And that was one of God's greatest graces to me, is to put me in that family, a place where that was stable, that was loving. It was fertilized soil where I could grow and grow safely until such time as I could, you know, be transported out of that pot into a bigger pot um, and be transplanted out to California. Um, But that family is a metaphor for me. It's God's active work in my life to place me in a place that was safe, where I could grow, where I could experience love and safety and joy. And I think in the same way when I came to faith, when I came to faith in Jesus, when I became a Christian my senior year of college, God was already at work placing me in a family. And the first family, the first church family I ever had was um, out there in Hawaii. And I stayed there for a year and a half uh, as kind of a gap year after college. And the church out there, Leeward Community Church in, in Pearl City, Hawaii, this church loved me incredibly well. This family loved me incredibly well. They were the family that God prepared for me. And and it, I remember at one point they had like eight or nine people assigned to mentor me. I mean, that's how much of a mess I was. This but this church family loved me well. I was Uncle Dave to the littlest ones. I 
I served there. They, I mean, they, they served me. It was it was this incredible community, and I grew like a bamboo shoot. You know, I I grew tall and fast because it was safe, fertile soil. God has prepared families um, for me every place that I've moved, and now I've got this new family. It's called Westgate Church, and, and I know. That metaphor for family is not lost on me as an adopted kid. Uh, I believe that that's what God does. That's one of the things that God does when he saves us. When um, when we come to him, he prepares a family for us to be in, a family that where we can experience God's growth. That's been my experience. I have seen in the church God. I've seen people trying to live out what it means to be faithful and have trust and allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. I've seen the fruit of the Spirit, not just talked about, but lived out, embodied in front of me. And I've seen peace and goodness and justice and all these things lived out. I've seen all of this, and that's been my experience. And that's what really we're trying to do at Westgate. And that's why I'm so high on church, I think, it's because I've seen its beauty. I've seen when it when it's done with God's help, when it's done in submission to Him, when it's done in God's way, the church is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's the embodiment of, of God here on, on earth. I've, I've seen it. And that's what we're trying to build here. And maybe that's not been your experience. You know, I know some people don't have good family experiences. You know, I, I know brothers and sisters who their, their mom and dad just self-destructed and they fell into addiction. They got divorced. They did they turned toxic. And so the brothers and sisters kind of, they watched their family kind of explode. And there they were drifting through the ocean, clinging to driftwood together. But they formed these brothers and sisters, even though their nuclear family exploded, they worked hard to form a new family. Like they said, we're going to, we're going to recreate something because that's how strong the need for family is. And I've, I've seen people, Christians who have had real harm and and real trauma um, because of religious institutions like the church they they because of the church i i get it um sometimes that happens uh, but we regroup and with god's help we can form and find a new family that he's preparing for us and that's what westgate is i think it's a family and that's what we're trying to build uh, uh, a place that's as healthy as christ-centered and exhibits christ is is filled with people who are trying their very best to follow jesus and bring into this world um you know, a, a bit of, a bit of what it means to. To live like like Jesus, when my daughter was in junior high, you know, we had, she had to try everything, and so she tried a she tried orchestra for a just a hot minute for like one semester. She picked uh, the trombone. She was terrible, terrible. I love you, JL, and you're a wonderful dancer and an incredible incredible daughter. You were terrible at at trombone. She's just awful. And I remember I went to uh, one of the concerts. It, it was a sixth grade like concert with sixth grade band. It 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 was awful. It was just really really bad. And they were playing like Beethoven. And I remember thinking, my goodness, if Beethoven could hear this, I, I don't know if he would have written that piece of music. I don't know if that's what he would have wanted for this junior high band to play and butcher this gorgeous piece. But as as they were playing it, you could hear it. You could hear the bum 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. You you could hear it, right? It's like it was bad, but you could hear it. And I realized for a lot of the students in that room, a lot of the sixth graders, that's the only Beethoven they're going to hear. I sometimes feel that that's what the church is doing, is trying to play the beautiful sheet music of Jesus really poorly. But it's there. You can hear it sometimes. And if you practice enough, you can get... 
to be an actual a better orchestra. You can get to be a better band, and, and then the beauty really comes out. And that's what we're just trying to be. We're trying to be uh, uh, graduate from a junior high band to, to maybe uh, a, a college band, uh, and then maybe someday uh, a symphony, a beautiful symphony. And, and that's what we're trying to do. So that's what this week's about. David Kim is here to talk and share his story about what it means to belong. David's story, I really resonate with David's story. I really, um, really connect with it. And so he's here to share that. And so um, he's here to talk about what it means to belong and his journey and what he's learned along the way. And I hope that, um, and I hope that as he shares, you'll be inspired to take some steps to what it means to belong for you. So with that, let's talk to David Kim. Really excited about this conversation. And uh, let's dive right in. All right, hey everybody, welcome to The Afterword. Oh man, I have eagerly longed to record this podcast and uh, here live in the studio with the second best David on staff at Westgate Church. I'm kidding, he's the first best, I'm the second best. David Kim, David Tish, the two Davids, live in the studio. It's going to be awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and do you say that about every guest uh, podcaster? Like, this is going to be the most exciting? Uh, I don't. Okay. There, there so. are some that I'm really scared about, mostly <laughs> that it's going to it's gonna stink. I pull it out every time because I'm amazing. Incredible. Yeah. And humble. Yes. Also. Yeah, super grateful to be here. David, this past week, we talked about the third love in our three loves, love one another. First of all, like... A lot of people probably wouldn't pull out the third one. Like a lot of churches just say, love your neighbor, love God. Why Why is the love one another important for church folk to get? Why that? Because Jesus says it multiple times. He says it in John um, when he's washing his disciples' feet. He says, right. love one another. That's how you'll know. The world will know that you're my disciples. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. He, he commands love. A new command I give to you, he says, love one another. That's in John 17. What and so obviously it's there in the text. It's important, sure. but why is love? How how is love one another different than love your neighbor? And why are they important? Why is it important for me personally? I think it's harder to love folks who are closer to you, part of your family, part of your church members. The reality is that as you get closer to you, there's more conflict, more conversations, and I think it gets a little bit dicey as we try to lean in. And so we choose not to fight through the discomfort and conflict. And so we quickly move on. I've done that many times with different friendships, different friends of Christ, uh, Christians who are in our journey or different communities where I'm trying to lean in. If they don't, if I don't like half the things that they're doing, I just move on to another church. And so I do think it's a spiritual practice to lean in because through that work, we are able to embody something that's really beautiful about God's invitation to love people well. Mm. So you're saying it's actually harder. This is one of the hardest loves in, in terms of relational because... Um, yeah, they get to see the shadow yeah, side of you. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's challenging. Uh, why is it important formationally or what aspects of our church help people love one another? I, would, I think about life groups is kind of... Is that the biggest one, would you say? Yeah, that is the biggest bucket where 
um, it's hard on a Sunday morning when you are gathering, whether it's a smaller uh, church community or a large community, whether you're around 50 folks to 1,000 in the room. Um, just the meet and greet, while beautiful as it is, um, it's just not a place where you can be vulnerable and lean in. And so I do think Life Groups creates a great uh, space in which you can forge uh, relationships and in that practice um, what it means to love, forgive, care, support one another. One of the things that there's a lot of books on this and a lot of research on this, just in general, the the state of loneliness mm. in our nation, but also the state of lonely, it's it just, it's skyrocketing. Probably something to do with COVID, isolationism, but also just for years, there's been real problems with Christian friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> And a lot of Christians... Um, don't have a, a close Christian friend. Is, is that also part of what you're trying to to stoke or to um, encourage people to think about? Yeah, COVID's been um, really tough on a lot of folks. And I would say COVID did not create loneliness, but it only exposed that we were really lonely as everything was shutting down and as our busyness of the daily and weekly rhythms of, of our lives slow down, we realize, like, who are my people? And who's caring for me? And who am I caring for? And we realize, oh, maybe my friendships and my community is not as deep as I thought it was. And, um, yeah, I do think that COVID is just revealing us the realities that maybe we haven't invested deeply into some of the friendships and communities God has given in our lives. Yeah. One of the things that was really interesting in, in your message, you talked about a, kind of a red pen. Mm. You, you, you use the analogy, who has been given the red pen to help you edit your, your life, life yeah. which I think a lot of people might chafe at the idea that somebody has the power to kind of go through the manuscript of your life and start crossing things off, circling areas of concern, yeah, um, asking for clarification that's an uncomfortable process for a lot of folks. Correct. Um, talk about how, because I, I think it's uncomfortable, first of all, because nobody wants to be that vulnerable. It takes risk. Yep. Uh, and secondly, maybe abuses. It's been done really poorly sure. or done wrong or something like that. Yeah. Um, how, first of all, I guess, how did, what, what's your thoughts on that? And then how do you subscribe or how, how could you help? What would, what would your advice to people be? Yeah, I mean, when you think about um, just giving permission for other folks to lean into your life, you realize that as scary as that may sound and to be vulnerable, to lean in, uh, because we don't want to do that, I believe that we are not building deeper friendships and community. That's been the case for my own journey. Um, I just don't like when people get to see a little bit more of my darker side and um, just the way in which I'm following and not following Jesus, the way in which I'm serving my family and not serving my family. And so I don't really expose much of myself. And as I began to do that, the very thing that I thought would help me for other people to love me better, I realized that's actually the very thing that's preventing me from growing in deeper loving relationships with one another. What is that thing? Just performing? Performing uh, fear and um, insecurities. Sure. All sorts of it. What about for you? Um, is that easy for you to open up and 
and allow people into your life? Well, I, I think that, the, no, but, but I do think that this is not something that you invite everyone into. Correct. Uh, I think it's, there's um, a trust that has to be built and that's kind of a long, a long form thing. So there are obviously people, you being one of them, who has a red pen. I mean, we meet together. I use it all the time. I mean, look at your, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We meet together weekly. I mean, we, we share frequently and you have a red pen, but that took what? A couple of, probably a couple of years of being on staff together and then. Being in a community together. Being in a men's group together. Uh, It took a, it took a while. But then you have that track hist- track record, you have the history together, you realize, oh, this is, and you talk about it too, the five things, you talk about priority and then chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two things really do matter. I don't think that you give the red pen to everybody. I think it's like really a small number because I think there's only so many people that have earned that right. Yeah. And um, because it is, it's, it's the... <laughs> It's not, it's not to bludgeon you, it's to help grow you in Christ. So yeah. you, you got to be real careful with, with that pen. Yeah, and they actually, if they've been committed to you for, for years, they actually now care about your life. So they're not just editing whatever yeah. they don't like and whatever that's irritating them, but they're truly looking at the big picture of what God is doing in yeah. your life yeah. and what God is inviting you to become. And speak in and seeing and catching, uh, this is really important, catching repeated patterns that they see in you and say, hey, I've noticed this and it's not just one time. And that's really helpful because it's not just a one-time blurb that you're just kind of commenting on, but you're seeing the repeated consistencies of that person's life and you're holding it and saying, hey, this is an invitation where that could be helpful for you to grow in. And I find that to be really helpful when people catch repeated patterns in my life. And often here's the thing that's really, and this is hard for me. They're almost always blind spots. Correct. And that makes me feel vulnerable and exposed. And there's some anxiety around that because Mm -hmm. I don't like, uh, the second somebody says a blind spot, though your instant reaction is, oh my gosh, that's so right. You just know it. And then the next thought I have is that really hurt. I got to hide. I got to get defensive. Um, because it's just it's just too painful because you feel super exposed. So I yeah. think that the blind spot knowledge really does is anxiety inducing for me because it's so painful. Yeah. Because it reveals I'm deficient, you know. And I think that because it's so painful, most people just don't do it. Most people just don't ever give the red pen to anyone. They don't spend the time to introspect. Uh, it's just too painful. I uh, agree. I mean, and. To your point, we've been hiding from the beginning with Genesis 3. Yeah. As soon as tension and division come into the world, sin, uh, we just hide. That's the first thing we do, and that's the first thing I do. I hide. I don't want you to know that I'm insufficient. I'm deficient in anything. I want you to know that I'm a high-caliber, performing leader, pastor, friend, um, and that you could rely on me, and every time I'm perfect. I'm 100 out of 100. And, um, yeah, so... We hide when we make mistakes, uh, and honestly, when we sin. And um, the reality is that if we continue to hide, uh, we end up not even seeing who we are. We hide from our own selves, and we can't even see the realities of our own lives. Right. One of the ways that 
um, I heard reality defined recent or God defined recently as as the one who holds reality, mm-hmm. and so getting mm-hmm. with God means getting into the reality of our lives, and that sometimes is painful because right. it's just easier sometimes to just pretend, right? Uh, but it's never better. Yeah. It's just easier. And I love when God says, you know, where are you to Adam and Eve? It's not that God doesn't know where you are. Um, God right. can clearly see he's asking if you know where you are. And I think that's the it's invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Yeah. It's not, yeah. And I love that about God. He's constantly inviting us to self-examine and to see our realities before God, the truest of ourselves, and and to lean in into that reality instead of hiding and running away or numbing ourselves to it. Um. Which means that there are limits to introspection. I think a lot of folks are like, well, I'll just get alone and I'll mm. do this before God. But there's a gift of community. Um, so talk a little bit about the theology of community because uh, on the triangle of transformation that we've shared multiple times, uh, if a person wants to change, one of the things they have to change is the story about the stories they believe, mm-hmm. one's private habits or practices or Christian practices, and then one of those is Christian community. And so this is actually a gift to form us and shape us. So talk a little bit about the theology of community and why it's so formational and why it's so important and why it's baked in to um, kind of what God is trying to do in the world. Yeah, community's baked into the reality of God himself. I mean, God, we all know this as followers of Jesus, like God is in Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, together in community before time and loving and caring, supporting one another uh, in perfect love and union. And um, from that, God births uh, his children, and we are called to embody and to live in that reality. And, and that's why when God created Adam and said, it is not good for a man to be alone. We, again, we all know this. It doesn't mean that God created something imperfect. It's just that we, it's not, he's not in community yet. And so it's an invitation to create and to be in community and to live out uh, what all that God has um, called us to be. So part of being image bearers is that baked into God's very identity, he doesn't do community or have community. He is. He is community, and he yeah. bakes that into our creation. Part of our image of God is the necessity for community. Yeah, and, and I've always thought growing up that Adam and Eve, that story, I thought it was about community mainly about marriage or romantic relationship, but it's actually about humanity. It's about what it means to be human, what it means to exist on earth, to be uh, God's image bearers, as you said, and to yeah. live in that. And so it's more than just a picture of a male and a female. It's it's about that we got to live in this world with community in mind. It just really does feel like that idea of communal um, necessity is being lost in modern America where everything is so individualistic. We talked about the four challenges in the Bay Area mm. toward community. One's busyness, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a focus on work, a hyper-focus on work, which kind of pulls us away from... Um, and, and what's weird about work is you're like, well, I have community at work, and you do, but it's a really utilitarian community. Mm. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, on, you're only there to perform. And people can say, oh, well, my, my coworkers care for me. Uh, sort of. But it feels kind of fake. It's like it's or false or shallow because it's only so much as you produce the green, you know, and then there's hypermobility, individualism and just noncommittal. It does feel like those things are getting um, those are the that's the water we swim in in the Bay Area. Like people move from out of town. So they're they're, they don't have roots. 
they often move. Like how many times have you heard somebody say, you know, I'm a fourth generation San Jose person. Like never, like it never happens. Right. Yeah. It's like, even if you've been here for two generations, that's incredible. Right. Yeah. I've moved 22 times and I don't even remember. Um, (laughs) have you moved 22 times? Yeah. And so that rootlessness and, and, um, not having a place where I don't even know where my home is. I mean, now San Jose is my home. But yeah, that's been my journey. And um, so when I talk about community, it's not like I'm, I'm the expert or whatever. Sure. It's just that um, part of loneliness and learning what it means to forge deep friendships, belonging, community, intimacy. That's something that I've struggled pretty much all of my life. It's right. part of my life story. So I had to learn it for my own health and to be more uh, of what Christ has invited me to be. If you were to ask anybody in the last First, probably 25 years of my life, you would, you would, everybody would say the same thing about me. David's a terrible friend. He doesn't know how to listen. He only cares about himself. And um, he's just busy doing his own stuff. And he'll just call on you or lean on you when, when he needs something. And um, wow. Yeah, that's that. Okay. Well, with that, let's get into because actually, that journey that you were a part of is actually, you actually wrote a book about this. I'm embarrassed to talk about it. No, you should I'm be. not an expert. I have no idea, but it is part of my journey. And, and I realize that it's not even just part of my journey as I pastor and shepherd people that a lot of us are all lonely and struggle with what it means to forge deep relationships and find belonging. You're, you have a contract with Thomas Nelson. The mm-hmm. book is coming out in February February yeah. of next year, yep. 2023. Mm-hmm. It's available right now for pre-order on Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. So mm-hmm. go to... <laughs> Thank you, <No>. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> What's the title of the book? Uh, Made to Belong. and uh, Made five, to Belong. Yeah. Yeah. Made to Belong. That we are created to belong, to be in community. That was not the message that I heard growing up. Okay. You are made to achieve, made to succeed, made to be wealthy, made to live comfortably. And that was the message I heard growing up, um, knowingly or unknowingly. Sure. Okay. So with that, um, let's just talk about that journey. So when did you, when did you realize that maybe belonging or the idea of belonging or being a part of a community was actually hard for you? Like, was there something, was there a tipping point? Was there, um, was there a a moment where something happened or is it gradual awareness? What what was that you had to do? Cause I think what happens is when we do the deep work, it's cause of pain, like something isn't working that we're doing and it's God's invitation. Is that kind of your story in this or what? Yeah, very fair. Um, when I moved to the States, uh, 10 years old, met a guy who, uh, my best friend, Paul, he, really showed me around the ropes of what it means to be in America, right? From food, culture, language, uh, and uh, hip-hop in the 90s. Wu-Tang oh. Clan, do you remember Woo! Wu-Tang Clan? Yeah. And so all of that. And um, I remember going off to college, and he wrote me a handwritten letter. And um, I'm like, man, you've been my best friend for so long, and you introduced me, and you helped me settle in America. And he gave me this letter. He's like, read this on your way to college. And so I opened it up, and it said, Dear David, I know we've been best friends for a long time. I just want to let you know that you've been a horrible friend and you don't know what it means to be a friend. And all I've done is try hard on my end, but you did not reciprocate. And, and I remember being caught off by that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, that is, that is me. I just care about myself and I just live for myself. And, um, 
that uh, that woke me up to the reality that I actually don't know what it means to be a good friend. Hmm. Do you think you were? Was it self protection? You were just trying to survive in a new environment, a new nation, with all these expectations that were foisted on you. You're living in New York City, this fast big city. Was it a sense of you had you had to devote so much energy to self protection? That you turned inward and, and selfish? Is that uh, kind of yeah. what it was? Yeah, and also I, uh, yeah, and I care about my time a lot, <laughs> my self-energy, and so I just didn't want to give it away to other people. Wow. And, um, and um, yeah, that's, so selfishness is a little bit of that. And, and also, if I want to love someone, I have to actually, like, care and pray and listen, and that just took too much time. Friendships take time, right, as you know, and... um and as someone who is very driven about his or my own goals, um, just um, didn't want to give that away. And so, wow. yeah, there. So then, is. what was the next movement uh, of that story? Uh, the next movement of that story is that um, I still um, had no idea how to forge that, and so I tried different things, and 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 then in that process, I I think I learned. Um, as studying through the scripture, some of the things that I've been modeled to me, I realized, oh, there are these like five repeated patterns that we see that helps us practically practice what it means to forge belonging. And that's kind of what I wrote in my book. Kind of like uh, five steps. Now, what's interesting about these five steps, and we're going to go through these just real quick. Um, they start, it starts with the, the order is important. Absolutely. Which is really interesting. So it's not like five interchangeable pieces that if you just grab them, you can put them together. It's like one leads to two. It's almost like math. It like builds on each other. Yes, I love math. Okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm an English teacher, so I don't understand math. But I've heard that math builds on it. So um, it starts with priority. Yeah. So what do you mean by priority? That's number uh, one. That's yes. the practice one. A priority meaning it's not just about being next to someone, I realize. I mean, I grew up with my family, and you could spend hundreds, if not thousands of hours with your family members. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily close, and we all have that experience. It takes intentionality, and it's not just about proximity. As important proximity is, it's about intentionality and building structure around it. And so it's really, a, it's, I know it sounds so weird, but it's really about committing to that intentionality and building some kind of a rhythm. And so I remember when I first came to uh, uh, Westgate, uh, I know some of you guys were hanging out on Thursday lunches and, and I'm like, how do I, how do I figure this out? And so I, all I did was I just blocked my Thursday lunch hour. And I just like said, I, I need to build relationship. I can't, I can't, there's no other way around it. And so I just need to have that space open and available and commit to that. And so that really, um, invited me to that journey of, of building those relationships. So it's being intentional, but so for a lot of people, that means being intentional about blocking out time for life groups Yep. or like time to meet with that friend, yep. like being intentional about calling, being intentional about making that invitation. Yeah, uh, we have our men's group on Tuesday nights and yep. just blocked off 7 to 10 and told our it's families. It's been that way since 2001 for me, Tuesday <laughs> nights. That's a, that's, a, yeah. that's a lot of Tuesdays. Unless there's like family emergencies and yeah. that's that's about it though. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it's blocked. Yeah. In general, yeah. it's it's like what, about 40 out of 52 weeks a year? It's like yeah. we're, we're going to be here. Uh, so priority. And then the next one is chemistry. Yeah. And this is kind of weirdly, I think this is probably the most controversial. And weird it is because you're basically saying there are people you're going to get and get along with better than other people. And Ooh. that's, and that's okay. 
Because Christians are told you have to love everybody, right? So we feel guilty we about feel- leaning into certain relationships. So and t- talk about that. Yeah, and so I've been told, yeah, you got to love everyone. Do not show favoritism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so don't be a clique. And so I used to have this thing called, I used to build, when I was a youth pastor, I had a click buster team. And because, you know, youth groups can get clicky. And so I trained 10 people to just break off like friendships and relationships <laughs> and sit like in between people. Because I'm like, I don't want to build a culture of clicks. And so, but what I was doing was intentionally, I thought in terms of my vision of loving all, I was breaking off deep God-given friendships. Right, right. And right. so that's what we do. We, in our call to love one another and love all, we can't uh, we can't differentiate between that versus uh, uh, being uh, able to build relationships that God has kind of brought in your way to forge uh, some kind of a meaningful soul uh, bonding relationships. Right. And so the prime example of that is Jesus and his disciples. He had the twelve. He loved the twelve. But within the 12, he did have a little more chemistry with the three. And he took them, in, and we talk about this in our teaching, he took them to special places, one of the most painful spots in the garden of prayer. He prayed, and he brought those three when he needed them the most. And that was intentional. And do we, would we say that Jesus was showing favoritism and he was sinning? Of course not. That's a silly question. Yeah, and we believe that Jesus still had this deep bond with the three, and he was able to build deeper relationships without feeling bad about himself. So it doesn't mean you're mean to other people. And and even in youth group, that's a good example because I think that like everyone should feel included. Everyone should feel welcome. Everyone should be nice to everyone, right? Yeah. But that doesn't mean you're best friends with everyone. And that's okay. That's That's, okay. It's just okay. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, there was a a, a group of pastors and they're sitting around and I was talking about how I was excited because I was fine. I got the Yale annotated, uh, volume of all of Shakespeare's plays and his poems. It was, it was massive. I got it for Christmas. It was just massive. It's beautiful. It's gilded. It's, it's, and I was like, man, I cannot, I, I can't wait to, to dive into this. And one of the pastors is like, ah, somebody's got a lot of spare time on his hands. And they went back to talking about like cars and remodeling their homes and other things that I'm fundamentally not good at. It was basically like, yeah. I don't have chemistry with you. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's just, it's going to have to be okay. Yeah, and, and the best way to do that is just like a any kind of chemistry experiment. You just got to try, right? You just got to, yeah. hey, let's go out and let's grab coffee together. Let's hang out. And in that, you'll see some of the bonds that can build, some of the relational trust and connection, and some of them not. And that's okay. I guess one of the one of the, the litmus tests is, do you like hanging out with this person? Yeah. Is it life-giving? Yeah. So and, that- and you know, I mean, we know this. Again, I played four years of varsity volleyball. I was a bench player all four years. So <laughs> uh, I actually don't know, but I was part of the team <laughs> for four years. And uh, they left me out during the uh, yearbook photo. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> we're not here to talk about family trauma, right? <laughs> or, or school trauma, uh, for that matter. Um, uh, what I, um, but part of the sports team is actually intentionally building chemistry. Yeah. And I remember Steve Kerr when they were interviewing him and how so much of that is humor and meals. And, and that's, uh, as you know, he's one of the best coaches out there. And, and bringing that, like, who can you hang out with and laugh and enjoy and share meals? Yeah. And that really matters. Yeah, it really does. Then after that is the third kind of thing. And that mm-hmm. is vulnerability, vulnerability, which is risky. It's bravery to share oneself. Talk about vulnerability and and how that's the third thing. So after you prioritize and say, I'm committed, and you find people that you really connect with, yeah. you're vulnerable. You share you parts. You have to open your heart. You have to open yourself 
to the things that you've probably blocked away from other folks. And that's the only way to be seen and known. So if you long to be seen and known, but if you do not open up, you cannot be seen and known. And so vulnerability is one of the hardest things that we can do. It's, um, it's shame uh, inducing uh, for many of us, especially for me in the Asian context, there's a ton of shame involved in it. Like, what would you think of me? Would you abandon me? Would you think, uh, whatever the case may be. And so as we open ourselves to be all that we are supposed to uh, be, uh, I think there's an invitation to say, hey, this is who I am. I want to be here. I'm not there and that's okay. And I just want to invite you into that process. And that's really scary, but one of the most transformative things for our journey. What's interesting is first comes commitment, then comes chemistry, and then vulnerability. What you're saying there is you should you have to be wise about who you're vulnerable with because you can be vulnerable with people who are not safe and who you should not be, right? Right. So right. safety is such an important piece of that. And, and that's what happened to me at Westgate. I came to this community and I hid most of myself growing up and for various reasons and coming here... Um, you guys kept leaning into me. And uh, that brought me a place where I could say, okay, it's time for me to now be honest with myself to you and see how you would react because I've seen your consistency, your commitment, your laughter, your your care for me. And so here I am. Yeah, uh, same thing for me when I, hmm. when I came to Westgate. Um, I think vulnerability also is started when somebody else is vulnerable. It allows you the freedom to be vulnerable. Um as they share, it's like, oh, well, if they shared that and gave me that much ammunition to hurt them and they they felt comfortable with that, maybe I can let down my guard a little bit. So vulnerability, I found, begets vulnerability. Yeah. Um, it's really a... It, it creates a culture of yeah honesty. Yeah. And it's really honesty is what it is. Here's what's uh, honestly going on. Yeah. And then after that comes empathy. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, think about it, right? You open yourself up and the person says, good luck or whatever, right? That Move sucks. <laughs> that sucks, right? Sounds, like, sounds to me like you're overreacting <laughs> anyway. Or the, or just dismissive like Christian pithy statements. I don't know if you've ever heard that as a pastor, <laughs> right? Uh, we've given that out to many of us. And so the invitation is that once you open yourself, when uh, empathy is an invitation to lean in and say, I see you, I care for you, I'm praying with you, I'm, I'm for you, not against you, and to, um, to come alongside their journey, I mean, that is how bonds happen, right? Vulnerability alone is not, I would say, enough. Give me some language for what empathy is, because I think some folks are like, well, it means I'm problem solving with them. You hop right into problem solving mode. And although that probably can be a part of friendship, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's not quite what you mean by empathy. Yeah. So much of empathy is listening, I've realized in my journey. That um, that looking looking at the person in the eyes and nodding and paying attention to what is actually going on in their own journey. Because in empathy, what we try to do is we try to give them answers or we try to, as we lean in, we start to take over and share our own feelings and emotions. But instead of that, like asking God... Uh, God, what is going on in that person's soul? And what does it look like for me to be a friend and lean in and listen in? I think it's the posture. It's, it's so much about that posture of leaning in through listening that empathy is, um, that w that's where empathy shines 
the most. I mean, every time my wife shares, right, I try to, again, problem solve fix or this and that. And she's just like, I'm just sharing so that you can listen. And that's all I need from you. Mm. And um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Brene Brown, who's kind of an expert in shame and empathy, has oh, this yeah. wonderful short film on uh, empathy. And she compares it, she calls it like uh, somebody's in a hole mm-hmm. and you climb down the ladder to get in the hole with them. So you don't, you yeah. don't say, you're so stupid for falling in the hole or you know there's a ladder right there, idiot. Yeah. Just get, you just sit down and say, ah, sucks. Sucks in here, doesn't it? Huh? Yeah. And then you just sit with them. Uh, I love, like, you know how we make fun of Job's friends, uh, like all the time for them being just miserable, like giving him terrible answers and questions. But I remember, like, when you read the first section of the book, they just sat next to him and wept and cried for seven days. And so, like, and afterwards, yeah, yeah, afterwards they mess up. <laughs> so let's, and, and they start to spiral with him. But the first seven days, I'm like, oh, I love that. Like, you didn't say anything. And you're just weeping I'm with, with you. Them. I'm, with, I'm you. with you. I'm with you. And it's not what God is about. Like, yeah. I'm with you, right? God, yeah. Emmanuel. And, and if so. you want to talk, I'm here. And if you don't, that's fine, too. That's fine, too. Yeah. Was it, they actually transformed that into a Jewish practice called sitting Shiva, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you just go, when somebody's mourning, when something bad happens, you just go and you sit and you show up. Yeah. You show up. Yeah. My... Um, I was talking to someone the other day, my my wife, she's a therapist, and she's been trained when people are crying not to give them tissues. Oh. And I and I found that fascinating. I'm like, why? Isn't that courteous? Isn't that what I do that all the time as a pastor? Because when someone's crying in the room and you try to give them a tissue, it can signal, right? For various different reasons, it can signal that, hey, maybe you're giving that tissue because you're uncomfortable with somebody crying. Maybe you're telling them to stop crying. Maybe you're telling uh, them clean to yourself, change, clean, clean yourself, yourself up. up. Yeah. It can mean all sorts of things. While you can actually truly mean to be courteous, uh, that tissue giving is a actually a sign that, um, hey, like I am uncomfortable with what you may be doing. And so what does it look like to just let them be and be all that they're supposed to be? So have tissue in the room, <laughs> but don't hand it to them. Beautiful. That's good. All right. And then lastly, the last step is accountability, which is... Uh, that's a tough one. Cause that word, I, I think the reason it's last is cause where I've seen accountability go really sideways is when it's first before commitment, before chemistry, before shared vulnerability and before empathy. empathy. Yeah. Uh, it's accountability without those things is just paratruthing into somebody's life and telling them what to do. And which that's is con- spiritual abuse. I, I, it's, it can be spiritual abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It, at the very least it's jerky. Yeah. Um, that being said, what? How do you describe accountability? What's a one sentence definition that you have in your mind? Um, helping them become all that God has invited them to be. And I believe instead of you shoving your own agenda in there, or um, it's uh, it's in, it's an invitation to help them become all that they're supposed to be in Christ. And I and with with that whole journey of priority to chemistry to vulnerability to empathy. I can see with you what God might be up to a little bit, right? If I don't know, if I don't have any relationship with you and say, God, God's saying you got to do X, Y, Z. It's just like, I don't, I don't know what's even happening in your family. I don't even know what your prayer requests are for your children. Like, I have no idea. And so it's an invitation to say, because I care about your life and I see your life, here's one thing that could help you in your journey of becoming more like Jesus. And I find that to be incredibly actually freeing. And that uh, kind and of And it's sealed. always agreed upon. 
It's it, it is agreed. It's upon. not like you're telling me what God yeah. should do. We've talked about it. We both sense this is where God's doing, and you're just encouraging, helping, exhorting. And when I violate and I get off or I forget or I hide, you say, "Hey, let's get back to the Father. Yeah. Let's let's be reminded what we're about. We're yeah. not about that. We're about Jesus and about." like following him and worshiping him. So let's get back to that. Yeah. And um, there was even a moment in our friendship, but we just talked about it where um, I was a little bit aggressive in my own fear and anxiety earlier on this year. And, um, and you call me out and you pressed in and you were vulnerable with me. And because we went through that commitment and of priority and chemistry and vulnerability, empathy, we were able to work through that and say, Hey, this is, we think we're off here and, and this is what I think God is calling us to be. And this is why we've committed to one another. And I felt like in this situation, you were off David. And, and it was stingy, honestly. Um, I'm still thinking about them going, oh, I can't believe I led that way. But that actually accountability helped us get closer. Yeah. The reality is that we believe that accountability will destroy well, relationships. I've, I violated a value that you thought you had made clear, and I thought I was upholding the value by doing what I did. So our wires were crossed, right. and you were mad at me, and I was really hurt by you because I'm like, I'm, I'm doing what you asked me to do. Yeah. So we got to talk through it. We were both in new positions, new roles, filled yep. with a lot of insecurities. Yep. But we just sat in my car. We talked through it, and I think at the end of that, because— And made, cried. I cried. <laughs> Right, it was it was emotional because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on here. But in the middle of that, basically, what we said is because the commitment to one another, because we've already gone through this war. Actually, on the other side of that, when you do that, you actually get closer. Yeah, um, which is absolutely which is counterintuitive. That conflict yeah. done well can actually yeah. bring you closer together with your friends. Yeah, this is why we're doing our podcast, holding hands. And we are. <laughs> we're not. We're, <laughs> no. we're not holding hands. <laughs> Dear gentle <laughs> listeners. Um, anyway, yeah, this is... Uh, well, David, I'm excited for your book. It comes out when? Uh, February 7th, and um, if it's helpful, I think... A week before Valentine's uh, yeah. Day. Look at that. <laughs> if Thomas Nelson is the publisher, right? Yes. And what's the title of the book? Give them uh, the whole yeah. title. Uh, Made to Belong, Five Practices uh, to... Uh, cultivate belonging, uh, cultivate community, actually, in a disconnected world. Ah. And um, I hope that these practices are practical, and I go into all the different ways in which we can practice each one. I have biblical theological kind of arguments and frameworks for each one, and it will be helpful for your own personal journey of belonging, but especially in—and this is my heart as a church leader for communities like life groups. If that is a place where we're trying to forge this thing, yeah. like what does it look like for all of us to take one more step? I mean, have you, any listener here, been in life groups where you're like, ah, like— that was just too shallow or like, ah, I didn't, it just didn't feel like I went deeper. And what would it look like for all of us to train ourselves to take one more step of belonging so that we can build together a community that's actually authentic and honest, um, that we feel as family and as home and what Christ has intended for us. And that is my prayer and hope for the book and for followers of Jesus all around. And our church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, David, thanks for stopping by and sharing uh, a little bit of your story. And again, it super resonates. I think uh, a lot of folks can understand and identify with just this sense of like, gosh, how can I, um, how can I figure out on a road to, to what it means to belong? And yeah. so I hope that this can, can help folks uh, take the, take the next step and, uh, 
Grateful for that. So thanks for all this content that you generated in this book that you wrote. I'm excited to see it unleashed on the grander world. We got a little taste of it this weekend. Yeah. Grateful for it and um, still learning and um, hope that, again, as you're sharing, just like, and Barna did just a study of how many folks who are followers of Jesus feel like they have accountability and they said 5%. Oh my gosh. And it's just like, yeah. Like, well, have well, you seen the numbers for like Christian adult men who have a good friend? <laughs> It's like it's it's like, it's like a tiny percentage, tiny percentage, and so this is not actually to shame you or condemn you. That's been our journey as we've been trying to build this, and yeah. so we. It's an invitation for all of us to say, let's get one step better in our journey of, of yeah. formation to Jesus and to love one another well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, if we're alone, we're super vulnerable. We're yeah. super duper vulnerable, and so this is this is God's plan for for us to protect us, heal us, help us. Because friendship's a joy. It's a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I tell you all the time, that I'm, I'm a gift from God to you. I say <laughs> that all the time. Again, as holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, thank you for that. Thanks for all that you do. And thanks for your friendship, too. Yeah. And that's a weird thing to say on a podcast, but... I love um, you. Is that weird? Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> My heart will go on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll never get invited back here. It's been nice knowing you all. All right. Well, as David and I uh, close this podcast, we just do encourage you. Uh, thank you for all you who are out there trying to build these kind of communities. Yeah, life um, group who, leaders who who, yeah. who model this and who who grown this. We're so grateful for you. Just keep doing it, and um, yeah. yeah, we're excited. So we'll see you next week. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. Just want to say thanks to David Kim for joining us and for sharing his story. David, always great to talk to you. Join us next week when Jay Kim will be by. We're going to be talking about the final week of the life we want, where we'll be talking about in Silicon Valley as it is in heaven, our final week of the life we want. So join us for that, and we'll see you next week.